Well, good morning, Mission View Church. I promise I haven't taken up smoking this week. I just sound that way. If you have your Bibles or the Bible app, go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians, the second chapter. Before I got engaged, I realized that I was asking Brooke to share my life with me and, and to share her life with her. I understood the biblical concept of two becoming one. I understood that my ambition was no longer just mine, but it was now hers and mine. I understood all those things that marriage entailed as we got engaged. What I was not prepared for as we got engaged was a week later her coming to my house and going through my closet and telling me that half my wardrobe was no longer acceptable. That was one of the byproducts of our engagement. The first shirt she picked out was a Hawaiian shirt. I don't know why Hawaiian shirts ever died. I feel a strange affinity to those lovely little flowers and bright colors, and I feel like we should all wear them more often. It would bring me joy on days like today. Brooke and the rest of humanity does not share that opinion with me. And she held it up and just looked at me as if to say, really? And I had to tell her this story. The year was 2007. I was at church, and I was at church alone, and the phone rang at 12.50. There was a funeral that was scheduled for 1.30 at the church. I was in a Hawaiian shirt and a pair of khakis, dressed tastefully in my mind, hideously in everyone else's. As the phone rang, I answered it, and I said, hello. And they said, can we talk to a pastor? And I said, well, I'm, I'm here. How, how can I help you? And they said, you know the funeral that is going on in your church later today? And I said, yes, in 40 minutes. And, and they said, yes, that one. And this is the point in the phone call where I'm expecting them to tell me that they're stuck in traffic and we need to delay the service and just play some more music. And I, I had no part in the service. I was just there merely to open the building, get out of the way, allow the service to go on and to leave. That's what I was expecting to hear on the phone. What I heard was something entirely different. What I heard on the phone was a desperate plea. Our pastor just canceled and we'd like you to do the funeral. What kind of pastor cancels a funeral 40 minutes before the funeral? Worst pastor ever. <laughs> and then they call me. And I'm like, you have to understand something. I would normally love to do the funeral. I can't do the funeral. And they said, why? And I said, I'm in a Hawaiian shirt. And there was silence. <laughs> like, not just that pause, like, oh, they're taking a breath before they can talk again. That pause, like, somebody just hung up the phone. <laughs> and I said, hello? Nothing. Hello? What did you say? I'm in a Hawaiian shirt, and I don't have time to go home and change and be back at the church. We're talking a 40-minute window here. Do it in a Hawaiian shirt. What? They said, do it in the Hawaiian shirt. They're dead. They won't mind. <laughs> and so the first solo funeral I ever did, I stood up in my Hawaiian shirt after going online, finding the obituary for the person whose funeral I'd never met, I was about to do, and I conducted the service there in a Hawaiian shirt. 
I've thought about that day a lot. I've thought through all the different connotations. And the one statement I'll never forget is, they're dead. They won't mind. And there's a lot of truth to that. I doubt they cared that I was in a Hawaiian shirt. I wasn't really worried about the person who died being offended. I was worried about all their relatives, loved ones, and friends being like, what is this idiot wearing? Because my name wasn't the name printed in what they handed out, and I wasn't about to stand up and say, we're gathered here today, and oh, by the way, I'm Brian, and the other pastor you have is the worst pastor ever and canceled 40 minutes before the funeral. But I thought about that, the tension of death. We all face it. It's something that we, we all identify with. M many have fear of when that moment's going to come. For ourselves, for our family, for those that we love, those that we care about. There's all kinds of tension and emotions surrounding death. And so it's, it's capitalized on. There's, there's this great curiosity of, of what possibly happens after, after death. Is there life after death? What goes on? There's tension and heartache of losing somebody that you so desperately care about and you love. And you wonder, how will my world continue? How will I go on if I lose this person? There's a, there's a sense of loss and sometimes even relief around death. And I have the opportunity to be surrounded by those who experience death on somewhat a frequent basis, being my chosen profession. I get to be around families as they say goodbye. I get to be around those who, who are battling with, with their life on the line and to join them in prayer and to try to encourage them with the hope from God's Word. I get to see the tension. I get to see the emotion. And it's something that each and every one of us has deep down within us. I mean, tonight, Walking Dead's going to return, and there's a whole phenomenon around zombies and what really occurs and, and what's going on. And ABC's been just producing trailer after trailer of their brand new show entitled Resurrection. And it asks the question, what if the dead could come back? What would happen? There's this entire curiosity around death. And yet death also brings about strong emotions. I remember it was a week before Christmas and my wife and I were catching up on a couple shows that we watch almost religiously and, and we were just catching up on the DVR and in the same day we watched two episodes where two key characters from two series that we watch all the time died and we watched this within a couple matter of hours and Brooke's just like, well, those shows are done. I'm not watching them anymore. We all experience the emotion. We all experience the tension. We all experience the loss. This morning, as we look at Ephesians chapter 2, what we're going to see around this very idea of death is that it is something that will occur with all of us. And yet, the Bible tells us it's something that's already occurred with all of us. Check this out, Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So literally what we encounter today is that 
I was dead. And if you're here and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you, you were dead. You're now alive, but you were dead. And oh, by the way, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're dead. That's what we just encountered from the scripture this morning. So essentially what we're saying is you have a problem. I have a problem. We all, we all have a problem. Oh, and not only, not only do we have this problem called sin, not only are we all dead, but we get even more offensive today. Because if you're here, not only are you dead in sin, not only are you a sinner, the Bible says, but you're a Satan follower. You follow Satan. Now, a lot of people who don't identify themselves as spiritual in any regard whatsoever would have, no, would have very little problem. I'm a sinner. Yeah, we all sin. But you tell them all of a sudden, oh, by the way, you follow Satan. They're not going to handle that so well. You Satan lover. Try it sometime. See how it goes over. Even as irreligious as our world is getting, you still call somebody a Satan follower or a Satan lover. There's still going to be a little bit of tension there. So if you're bored one day, just throw it out. See what happens. But this is offensive. This is offensive. This is the gospel message. And we're telling people, you have a problem and you follow Satan. And you're dead. Wow. And that's the truth. And that's the truth. That's the truth of Ephesians 2 here. When we convey the truth... Here's what we need to here's what we need to remember and here's what it's so important that we do. Because we believe as as Steve shared earlier today as we talked about the membership covenant, the affirmation that we want people to sign when they become members here, one of the things that we highly value here at Mission View Church is us being intentional about sharing our grace stories, us being intentional about sharing what God has done in our lives. We believe that's absolutely essential to the Christian life. We believe that is what God has called all of us to do, is to share what got the transformation that God has done in our life. Because church, we literally crossed over from being dead to being alive. That's a pretty big deal. That's the biggest transformation that could possibly ever happen. That's important. That matters. So we need to, we need to share that with people. But in the course of sharing that with people, remember they are dead. Not only are they dead, they're followers of Satan. When we share the truth, we need to focus on their condition rather than their symptoms. Let me say that again. When we convey the truth, we need to focus on the overall condition as opposed to the symptoms. You don't have to go to med school. You don't have to do a fellowship and a residency and, and do all the work associated with being a doctor for me to come into your office and be like, wow, Brian, your voice sounds terrible. It's obvious. My voice is terrible right now. You don't need a medical degree to figure that one out. Why? Because it's a symptom. It's a symptom. Symptoms are obvious. And for too long, what our approach has been is when conveying the truth to people, we focused on the symptoms of their problem rather than the condition of their problem. 
So we've isolated individual sin and we've thrown that out as the problem rather than the overall problem being that you are a sinner, you are alienated from God, and you are dead. So we focused on the symptoms rather than the condition. And we need to focus on the condition being that you are dead, you are apart from God. Highlight that before you highlight individual sin. Highlight the condition. Because the symptoms are obvious. And the reality is we need to provide the antidote for the condition being sin. And if we do that, the symptoms will clear up. Think big picture. So what, what have we done? Let me read it again. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What have those who are apart from God done? They've acted naturally. They've acted naturally. They've just lived as we once lived. He continues, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now we're going to break down this section of scripture and notice this. So here's our condition. Here's where we who are Christ followers once were. Here's where you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, still are. You are dead. You're alienated. You're a follower of Satan. But God, God shows up on the scene. God serves as our rescuer. God, but God. And here's what we're going to see. Salvation begins with God. We've seen that over the past three weeks as we launched into Ephesians chapter 1. And here, here's our dire situation. Here are our dire circumstances. But God, God shows up being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. In spite of the fact that we were dead in our trespasses, in spite of the fact that we rebelled against God, in spite of the fact that we all have something called sin in our lives, and that's the problem, God shows up, and while we are still there, while we are still sinners, while we are dead in our sin, He shows up, and He is rich in mercy and love. He is rich in mercy for those who look at Him and say, I know a little bit better than you. I'm going to try this my way. For those who say, God, I know what your way is, but my way is better. And in spite of that, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of the fact that we've pushed ourselves away from God, He is still merciful and He is still full of love for us. But God, being rich in mercy and full of love for us. 
even when we are, we're dead in our trespasses. Made us alive together with Christ. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Understand this. Even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our rebellion, God transforms us by his grace. The transformation that takes place is the greatest transformation that can possibly take place. It is the transformation from death to life. There is no greater transformation. No greater possible transformation that can happen. It doesn't matter what kind of makeover you have. It doesn't matter how many pounds you lose on the biggest loser. No greater transformation is possibly, can possibly occur than the transformation that happens at the time of salvation when God looks at us who are dead in our sin and by His grace, He extends Christ's sacrifice to us and He takes us from being dead and He gives us life. We were a corpse, and now we are full of life as a result of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And this is the message that we can cling to, and this is our hope. And our hope is not dependent upon us. Salvation starts with God, and it ends with God, because while we were dead, God showed up on the scene. And in spite of the fact that we rebelled against God, God still loved us, and he was rich in mercy, and so much so, and so full of grace that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man. Humanity meets divinity. I don't fully understand it, but it's true. And God sends his son Jesus down. He walks with this world and he lives a perfect life as a model for us. And then he goes to the point of the cross where he lays down his life for us. Why? Because the penalty of my sin, the penalty of my death is death. That's the cost of my rebellion. The cost of my sin is death. But God's gift, God's grace for us. It's his son, Jesus. Who God, being rich in mercy and full of love while I was still dead, said, here's Brian's sin. So he can be alive. Here's your sin. And your sin. And your sin. So that you can live. And you can live. And you can live. And the transformation is there. And it's available to you. And three days later, the sacrifice of Jesus was proven to be accepted by God when he rose again from the grave. Even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not only does God transform us from being dead in our sin to being alive in Christ, but his work with us is not done. His work with us is not done at salvation. No, his plan for us is to restore us. And so he seats those who follow him alongside himself in heaven. Why? 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Why does he raise us up? Why does he restore us? Why does he exalt us and put us, put us alongside him in heaven? Why are we in heaven? Why do we have life? Why have we crossed over from death to life? So that God is glorified, so that God ex is exalted, and so that God is worshiped. Understand, salvation begins with God and it ends with God. Salvation is God's and he extends it to us. It's a benefit and as a blessing to us by grace. I know sometimes we, we want the salvation to be primarily about us. We want it to, to be focused on salvation is not primarily about us. It is about God being glorified, exalted, and worshipped. And he redeems us as part of that process because of his grace, because of his mercy, and because of his love. It was the middle of the night. Lynette woke up out of a dead sleep. She could hear David. He was gasping for air. But he was unresponsive. He's only 28. This, this isn't supposed to happen when you're 28. Maybe when you're 68 or 78 or 88, but not when you're 28. When you're 28, you're not supposed to be gasping for air and unresponsive in the middle of the night with the early indication that you've had a heart attack. And so Lynette, in, in panic, begins CPR on, on David, and she calls for the paramedics. And each second of the three minutes that it took the paramedics to get there, you know felt like an eternity. And yet it just had to have flown by. And she just wanted David to breathe. She just wanted him to respond. She, this couldn't be happening. Their baby girl was only one years old. She was only one year old. This couldn't be happening. Not to a 28-year-old father of a one-year-old. Not in the middle of the night. He had what is going wrong. And she sat there for each second, which just felt like it took forever as the paramedics took three minutes to respond and she just continued to do CPR and as the paramedics were pulling up all of a sudden Lynette heard their daughter and she began at first just to call out for her daddy and she just wanted to know what was going on but daddy couldn't respond and so their daughter began to just cry and to weep and to scream and just wondering what was going on and can't you just see the scene in your mind as she's just panicking and just so desperately wants the man that she loved to breathe and he won't breathe and then the paramedics take over and they shock him and nothing happens and they shock him again and nothing happens and the paramedics know that after 20 minutes severe brain damage is probably going to set in and they know that each second is vital and each second literally is the difference between life and death and they shock him again and nothing and they're transporting him into the hospital and they shock him again and nothing and he's only 28 years old this isn't supposed to happen to 28 year olds and they shock him again and nothing they arrive at the emergency room They try to revive him. They try to shock him 15 times. And he's dead. 
70 minutes to set in. He's dead. I know best case scenario, if they could ever revive him, be completely brain dead. They don't give up. And on the 16th time, in the 70th minute, all of a sudden, as they pull the paddles away after they shock them, they look at the monitor. And they see a sign of life. And David Brinks, after being dead for 70 minutes, once again had a heartbeat. It was touch and go for a while, as you would expect, without oxygen to the brain for 70 minutes. But 18 days later, miraculously, in something that doctors still can't fully explain, David Brinks returned to his home right outside of London after an 18-day stint in the hospital. Now, he was dead. 70 minutes. 16 shocks later. He comes back. Now, we'd all look at that and realize that David Brinks did nothing. It was his body, but it was the doctors, the paramedics, the nurses, the medical technology, which was able to get his heart beating and to bring him back. And church... This is exactly what God does in our lives when He chooses to save us. It isn't us. It's God. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Church, salvation is God's gift to us. We can't earn it. Because God's standard is perfection. As we sit in a, in a high school today, we, we understand, you know, there's grading scales and there's GPAs and you can miss a couple questions on a test and, and still get an A, depending on how many questions are on the test. And you can certainly on every test ever miss a couple questions and still get a B or a C. You can still pass a class missing questions on a test. We all understand that, and many of us made it through high school and college doing just that, missing a bunch of questions on tests and still passing. 
We get it. Unless you're one of those, like, incredible freaks, you're not going to get every question on every test you've ever taken absolutely right. And if you're that person, great. I want to hire you to do my taxes right now because I want to break my computers I try to do them. That's awesome, and there is a future for you. Great. But we understand, even if you miss a couple questions, you can still get an A. Problem is, God's standard doesn't work like that. Problem is, God's standard is perfection. You either meet it, or you don't. And it doesn't matter the second we don't meet it, and none of us do. All of us are imperfect. All of us have sinned. It doesn't matter once that occurs how many good things we do. We're still flawed. We're still imperfect. We still sinned. There's still a penalty for that. We can't make up for it. It's perfection. You can be the best person who's ever lived. You can't make up for it. You're imperfect. That's why we can't work for our salvation. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. So this is how salvation works. God gives us a gift. Because we can't do it. And we receive that gift through faith. And that gift was God sending His Son, Jesus, as we just talked about a few minutes ago. To pay the price for my imperfections and your imperfections. By grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. I know we want to rely on ourselves for everything. Especially, especially men. We want to rely on ourselves for everything. Can. It's not up to you. You've already messed it up. You're dead. You can't become alive again. You're dead. For by grace we've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. That's the reality that we're faced with. All of us who have crossed over from death to life understand that we've done so not of our own own doing, not of our own accord. We've crossed over from death to life as a result of God's love for us, as a result of God's gift for us. Not because of what we can accomplish, not because of what we do. So that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Salvation is dependent on God, not ourselves. And our response needs to be this. Humility, humility, and action. 
Our response must be humility. I'm saved not because of me. I'm dead because of me. I'm saved because of God. I am alive because of God. I am dead because of Brian. And God and his love for me. And if you think you're a big deal, just remember you're dead. You might have it more together. You might have a nicer car. You might be a brainiac. You might have a wardrobe with no Hawaiian shirts, but you're still dead. Christ made us alive. If that doesn't stir about humility in our hearts, then we need to inventory our lives. Not only should we be humble, but we need to get to work. The reason that we work, the reason that we serve, the reason that we engage this world is not to earn our salvation because we can't earn it. The reason that we engage this world, the reason that we go to work, the reason that we serve is a result of our salvation. Because God saves us, out of the overflow of that, we go to work. We get busy. Because we see that there's a world around us that is already dead. And who needs the hope of Jesus Christ. This is work's relationship to salvation. Not that we can be saved because of what we do, but because we are saved, this is what we do. So church, let's go to work. Today, we have two extremes. There's no middle ground. It's just how the scripture set things up for us. There's death, and there's life. There's sin, and there's grace. There's followers of Satan. There's Christ's followers. And the question that I want to ask you is, where are you? There's no middle ground. Where are you? In a minute the band's going to come and they're going to play a song, one of the final songs that Johnny Cash ever wrote. It's entitled, The Man Comes Around. And it's a contrast. It's a contrast of the judgment day between those who are dead and have no hope and those who are alive who have hope. And as the band comes and as they prepare to play, I'm just going to pray and I'm going to ask you a question. And that's just identify, where are you? And if you're over here and you're dead and you want to cross over to life, I'm just going to pray a prayer and there's nothing magical in the words I say. But if you realize it's time for me to leave this and it's time for me to become a Christ follower and I want to leave my life behind and I want to follow Jesus and I want to receive God's gift, then I'm just going to invite you right where you're at today to just, just pray this and give your life to God. And again, there's nothing magical in the words I say, but it's just you recognizing the fact that you're dead and you need to be alive. And the only way that we can cross over from death to life is through what Jesus Christ did for us when he 
died on the cross and he rose again. And if, if, you're, if you're alive today, I'm just going to challenge you as this song's played. Think of how you and humility can get to work. Because we're surrounded by those who are dead. The stakes couldn't be higher. There is no middle ground. God, I pray. If there's anyone here today who's dead, and they realize that they need to cross over, they need the greatest transformation that can ever happen, they need to receive your gift, God, that right where they are, they would just repeat this prayer. They would say, God, I've sinned, I've fallen short. I want to give my life to you. I realize that salvation's a gift that was paid for by your son Jesus, who died on a cross for my sin, who rose again. So, God, I give you my life. follow after you. Thank you for saving me. And God, I pray for those who've already made the transformation from death to life. God, that we in full humility would praise you and worship you and honor you. And God, we would have a passion to get to work for your glory. In your son, Jesus' name we pray.